0: Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, which is what I'll read before our tea comes to bring us the Word of God. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's welcome our tea this afternoon. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple, May this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What would you say is the purpose of life? Well, I can tell you it is threefold. One, to know your sins are forgiven and that you will go to heaven when you die. Second, that you know you are pursuing your inheritance. Every Christian is called to come into his or her inheritance. Some do, some don't. Those who do will, thirdly, one day at the judgment seat of Christ, hear the Father say, well done. Now, every believer is called to come into their inheritance. Those believers who pursue it, come into it, find great peace, great joy, and they will receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Those who don't pursue this will find a life of frustration, fear, failure. The way of the transgressor is hard. And will be saved by fire at the judgment seat of Christ. My text today is Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You need to be qualified in order to have this inheritance. And the qualification is... That you know your sins are forgiven, but there's more. Also, that you are pleasing the Lord. And that is what I mean by coming into your inheritance. Now, here's the context of Paul's statement in these words. He's praying for these Colossians. You may recall, these are not his converts. He's heard about them and addresses them and says that he will be their apostle. And he wants them to come into this inheritance. And so he prays for them. And he puts it like this in verse 9. We have not ceased to pray for you. And notice how he puts it, asking. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He doesn't demand. You ask. Jesus said, ask. Ask. And you will receive. You don't snap your finger, you ask. And James said, "You have not because you ask not. Well, he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, one of the deepest questions that we ever ask is the how to know the will of God. And the best way to explain it is to show that it's a twofold understanding. There's God's secret will, and there is his revealed will. What's the difference? Secret will, that's God's knowledge of the future. He knows what will be down the road for you. He knows the end from the beginning. God knows the future as perfectly as he knows the past. We all have curiosity. We wonder, what will it be like? That's his secret will. And sometimes, sometimes, God will give you a touch of the knowledge of his secret will. This is why you have prophecy in the Bible. God can tell what is going to happen. But the main thing is not his secret will. What you need to know is his revealed will. And that we have in the Bible. If you want to know the will of God, get to know the Bible so well That you know in advance, almost certainly, what he will want you to do. Revealed will Take Psalm 119, that long psalm. The psalmist talks about his precepts, ordinances, testimonies, commands. And behind these things is what we call propositional revelation. Don't know if you've heard that phrase before. Propositional revelation. Revelation. It means this, that what is true about God can be revealed in statements, propositions, such as God is holy, God is love, God is all-powerful, God is omniscient, He knows everything. These are statements that describe God, unchanging, eternal, in the heavens. Well, that is what we mean by revealed will. However, what Paul wants is that these Colossians come to be filled with the knowledge of his will, referring to the God of the Bible, that you can understand him. He wants these Colossians to to know the true God, because the enemy out there, we will hear more about it in weeks to come, they're known as Gnostics. Gnosticism. It was the earliest major threat to the Christian church. And these people, we call them Gnostics, wormed their way into the church and made friends of Christians. And they would say things like this, what you have is good, really good, but we can make it better. And Paul knew that these Gnostics were aiming for these Colossians. And the reason for this epistle is that these Colossians could be on their guard to know that the Gnostics are coming. They're going to pervert the doctrine of Christ. Weeks to come, we're going to see statements about Jesus Christ. It's to show the error, the heresy, the danger of Gnosticism. So Paul's prayer, that they could be filled with the knowledge of God. And the way this comes is that you want to know God's will. This is a very important thing. Listen. If you want to know what to believe about God, you ask God to know His will, that you might please Him. Jesus said, John seven seventeen, If any man will do his will, he will know the doctrine, whether it's of God or not. Very important that you see the connection between your personal relationship with God and then knowing the truth about Him. There's something I shared in the first service. I don't think I've ever shared this publicly before. I I might have, but I, I can't remember doing it. Many years ago, back in the 1970s, when I was at seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, a person that I respected said, R.T., you ought to go to Germany to do a doctorate. Germany. I said, why? Oh well, these are the real thinkers. These are the people that will teach you to think and they know philosophy. And and I thought, well, I think I will. And there was a time I planned to go to Germany. Just think. What if I'd have gone to Germany? So I wouldn't be here today. So you wouldn't get to hear me preach, Gabriel. I mean, can you imagine life without me? Well, that was my plan. A professor, a godly man, Dr. Wayne Ward, happened to talk to me. This is, I can't imagine where I would be today if it weren't for him. He said, RT, don't go to Germany. I said, why? You need to know this about the theological faculties in Germany. They're not interested in the truth They're interested in coming up with a good idea that will sell books. And he shook me rigid. And I knew at once, I didn't want to go just learn knowledge. I want to get to know God better. I wanted to do the kind of research that would do something for me. And it worked out. And that's why we came to England and I could study what I wanted. But the point is, the way to know what the Bible teaches is not to read thousands of books about God, eventually you want to know Him. And that's what Paul wants. And so he tells them, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit to every good work in increasing in the knowledge of God. And so he talks about wisdom and understanding. Wisdom, a quick definition of wisdom. Getting God's opinion. You ask for wisdom? You want God's wisdom? Well, he has an opinion. Do you know this? God has an opinion about everything. The question is, do we want his opinion? We're afraid to ask. It might go against what we wanted to do. But wisdom, the beginning of which is the fear of God, anybody can have it. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't need to be educated. The wisdom of God, it begins by fearing Him. And you will get God's opinion. And then he adds an understanding. This means to know the true God, the God of the Bible. Well, now, why is this important? goes back to what Hosea the prophet said. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. You need knowledge, but make sure you're getting God's opinion. Understanding of God. And so Paul's concern was this threat of Gnosticism. That these evil men who've got into the church would influence them. And these Colossians would get off the rails. So he uses this phrase that they would walk worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. Whatever does that mean? It means we must dignify his gracious calling by reflecting his ways in our lives. God puts us on our honor. And we want to walk worthy of the Lord. Uh, years ago at Westminster Chapel, we had what we called pilot light ministry. And uh, I was, for the last 20 years, always, literally, on the steps of Westminster Chapel every Saturday, talking to passers by. You never knew who you were going to meet, the whole world was there. And a lady comes by, her name was Luba. Turns out she was a Russian Jew, spoke perfect English. And I said to her, do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And she said, no. I said, if you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you in to my heaven, what would you say? She said, I don't know. I said, do you have a few moments? Yes. I never will forget it. A letter to the Lord. But as often the case, you never see these people again. But lo and behold, she showed up a year later. And she's now a translator for a a dozen Russians. And she brings them to Westminster Chapel on a Saturday morning and says, I will translate for you. Do for them what you did for me. And I never will forget a letter she wrote. They know I'm a Christian now. Pray that I will not dishonor his name. You see, that shows a person Thoroughly converted. You don't want to dishonor the name of the Lord. You will have heard of Alexander the Great, the ancient Greek king who conquered the world. He discovered that one of his guards fell asleep. And the funny thing is, the guard's name was Alexander. And so the king said, Soldier, what is your name? Alexander, sir. What? Soldier, what is your name? Alexander, sir. Soldier. Change your conduct or change your name. We are to honor that name, walking worthy of the Lord. Paul says, fully. Pleasing him. Namely, bearing fruit in every good work. That means godly living. Increasing in the knowledge of God. And so, why is knowledge so important? Because the purpose of of this book is to show them the danger they're going to face. And that's why we have four chapters. Well, now, something very interesting. He says in verse 12 my main text, that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What does that mean, inheritance? It's a word used in the Bible. You find it in Ephesians, in case you hadn't realized this, as Galatians is known as the little book of Romans. Romans. So Colossians is the little book of Ephesians. And you can read Colossians and Ephesians together and you can see they're much the same in places. Well, to the Ephesians he talks about inheritance. To the Colossians he adds the word in light. Inheritance of the saints in light. Now the word inheritance means reward. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, he calls it that. That's what it is. Inheritance is a reward. It's what somebody chooses to leave you, but you don't get it until after they die. It's inheritance. And there are four words in the New Testament used interchangeably. Crown, prize, reward, inheritance. Inheritance. Uh, Take, for example, 1 Corinthians 9.24, which Paul wrote in 55 A.D. And it's a reference to the Olympics, the ancient Greek Olympics, and every man and woman in Corinth would know all about this. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, Run, that you may obtain it. Obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown. But we, an imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beats the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified for the prize or the reward. Paul is not the slightest bit concerned whether he's going to go to heaven when he dies, but he's concerned that he might miss the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, I do run into people. They say to me, R.T., I don't care if I don't get a reward. I just want to make it to heaven. I understand why they would say that. My reply is, You won't feel that way then when you stand before God. The reward, inheritance, prize, crown was so important to the Apostle Paul. So here's the thing with the Olympics, only one gets the gold. But with this prize or crown, all of us can get it because we're not competing with each other. We aim for the honor and glory of God. Why do I tell you that Paul wrote this in 55 A.D.? It's because in 67 A.D., he wrote his last letter, and that is to Timothy. And here's what he says. He says, I have fought the good fight. The time of my departure has come. I've finished the race. Henceforth, he can now say it. He wouldn't have said it 12 years before. But he says, I can say it now. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He he got it. He knew he had it now. It's for me and for all those who love his appearing. And so Paul was thrilled that he could say that. The reward was so important. It means finishing well. He wouldn't say in 55 AD, I've got it. But he could say it in 67 AD because he's waiting any minute for Caesar to come. And his time of departure was at hand. And so when it comes to salvation, you've got that. That's a given. But reward, inheritance, that's something that is in addition to salvation. Uh, (laughs) About five years ago, a lady I think it was South Africa, that would be when I was 78 years old, came up to me after the service, and this verbatim quote, she looked at me and she said, it's so good to meet someone who has finished well. (laughs) I said, thank you. That's five years ago. My cardiologist says I'll live into my 90s. I wouldn't say I've got it. I wouldn't say I've got it, but you said, but RT, Paul says that these Colossians have qualified. In fact, that's what he says. You're qualified. Yes, they are. But it ain't over till it's over. You can have qualifications, but you don't get the job necessarily. You're qualified but you haven't got it yet. And Paul could say, you have qualified if you die today. If you die today, you've got it. But he goes on to say in verse 23, all this is yours if you continue in the faith. Now, because of that word, if you continue, which has made Colossians a difficult book for many people, There are those who don't believe the teaching, once saved, always saved. They believe you can lose your salvation. And they've been taught this, they believe this, and they base that verse in Colossians 1.23, if you continue on the premise that you could lose your salvation. I can tell you, some think that this verse that I'm preaching from refers to salvation, eternal salvation, Or conditional salvation. No, it refers to our inheritance. You might like to know there's not a single verse in the Bible that says you can lose your salvation. But there are many verses in the Bible that say you can forfeit your inheritance. What you don't lose is your sonship, but we can lose our inheritance. We never lose our sonship. Uh, I was my grandmother's grandson until I died. I didn't lose that. I was my father's son until he died. Uh, Sonship is permanent. But a person can decide whether they want to leave you an inheritance. And uh, uh, you might like to know that we've been adopted into a great family. In fact, Jesus was God's one and only son, if you could say it this way, natural son. He only had one, only begotten Jesus, son of God. But we're called sons of God. Romans 8:14, as many as are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God. How are we made sons of God? The answer is we have been adopted into the family. Uh, Years ago, uh, when I was still at Westminster, I was invited to a party given by a lady who wanted to celebrate 10 years of being a Christian. Wonderful idea. And I was invited. It was in Pimlico. A man comes up to me at the party and he says, "Uh, You're R.T. Kendall. Yes. You wrote a book, Once Saved, Always Saved. Yes. I don't believe your book. Have you read it? No. Well, how do you know until you read it? He said, I don't believe it. Well, read it and see. I don't believe it. Okay. Then he said, before he walked away, look. I'll give you one minute. Give me your best shot. Give me your best argument. Come on, one minute. Let's hear it. Okay, got it. What is the possibility that Jesus could be dislodged from the Trinity? There's no possibility. Quite. I believe the Bible says we've been adopted into the family and we're joint heirs with Christ. He said, that's good. He walked away. (laughs) But that's the point. I was always my grandmother's grandson. But, When she died, it happened after she changed her will. I happen to know, and I've always thought it was a providence. I didn't expect to hear anything like this. A man who witnessed her will told me, said, do you know that your grandmother is leaving everything to you? No, I didn't know that. He said, well, I witnessed her will. It turns out that Down the road, I displeased my grandmother. My theology changed. She had bought me a brand new car for me to have in my old church, and because I changed my theology, she took the car back. (laughs) Because my theology and denomination was going to be different from hers, she rewrote her will, and I received nothing. I was still her grandson. I could say the same about my own dad. He loved me, but he married a second time after my mother died, and he left everything to his wife. And when my father died, I received zero, but I was still his son. Here's the thing we are all sons of God by adoption, but inheritance is something else. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So, why spend four chapters on this? He says, they're qualified. You might say, well, if they're qualified to to share the inheritance, it's over. True. If they all died that day, but there was years left, and he knew about the Gnostic threat and now the aim of the Gnostics was to disrail these Colossians, and they could lose it all, that is to say, the inheritance that was theirs. Well, here's the thing: pleasing the Lord shows that you are accepting the invitation to wear the crown and you want to pursue your inheritance. Uh, what is pleasing the Lord or walk, walking worthy of the Lord? Five things. One, your love in the Spirit. This is a phrase Paul uses, love in the Spirit. It means a non-sexual love, a love that overcomes obstacles so you forgive your enemy. You totally forgive those who have hurt you, who wanted to destroy you. You even pray for them to be blessed. That's love in the Spirit. And they had it. These Colossians had it. Paul says, you've qualified. The trouble is, it ain't over till it's over. And there's years left. What else? Bearing fruit in every good work. That means holy living. Third, increasing in the knowledge of the true God. That means that you embrace sound teaching. You may not have thought it. But we please God by what we believe as well as what we do and your theology matters. You want to please the Lord by, by sound teaching. Fourth, by endurance and patience with joy. That means no grumbling. Is there anybody here who ever grumbles? Do you ever complain? Are you negative? Not good. This is not helping. Are there those here you can't forgive, those who hurt you? You're not losing your salvation, but you're forfeiting something. You're forfeiting something. All these things matter. That's why Paul could say in 55 AD, I keep my body under. I don't want to lose my inheritance. I'm pursuing it. I'm wanting you to do it. That's why he writes this epistle Endurance with patience and joy and finally showing gratitude. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So here are two questions. One, who qualified them? Two, what qualified them? Well, they were qualified by God the Father. That's what he says, giving thanks to the Father Who has qualified you? But what qualified them? Verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, those who receive an inheritance are those in the family. In the family. But then God determines our inheritance. Ancient Israel, 12 tribes, God determined their inheritance. They come into the promised land, 12 tribes, and they're going to divide up the portions in order to keep some of them from trying to bribe Moses or Joshua and say, look, we're the tribe of Judah. Would you make sure that we get to live on this part of of the land? Here comes the tribe of Asher. Here's where we would like to live Naphtali. Well, now we wanted to live there. Do you know what? They cast lots. They cast lots. It was out of their hands. Psalm 47, verse 4 God chose our inheritance for us. Likewise, the purpose in life is to pursue your inheritance. And you find out what he's got in mind for you. Now, listen carefully. Two kinds of inheritance, internal, external. Internal. That's what you get by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on that, we're all on level ground. We all are pursuing the same thing. Pleasing the Lord by those things I mentioned. Walking worthy of the Lord. That's internal. And that's what gets you a reward to the judgment seat of Christ. But, on the way there, suppose God lets you live a few years, there is an external inheritance. What's that? It's your calling. It's what you do in life. However, don't ask, what is my external inheritance? Ask, am I pursuing my internal inheritance? It's the external. A quick way to explain that is to say to you, which I think you would agree with, I'm a Bible teacher. That's, that's my external inheritance. I couldn't have known 60 years ago that one day I would be the minister of Westminster Chapel. That was part of my external inheritance. I could have blown away my inheritance years before. Or I couldn't have known that I would have a minister that would go around the world. That I could come to Kensington Temple, I could have over the years, through bitterness or uh, giving into sexual sin, I could have blown away all that and you wouldn't see me today. Don't ask what is your external inheritance. God takes care of that. call and die. You wouldn't have known 30 years ago that you would one day be minister of, West, of, of Kensington Temple. Uh, I remember, Colin, you told the story that you were baptized here, never thought you'd be minister here. You purchase a book in the book room, and Eldon Corsi sees it and comes up and pays for it. You read that book, it shaped your life, and you pursued your internal inheritance, and God put you here. Gabriel, you never thought you'd one day be principal of IBIOL. Had you messed up over the years, you wouldn't be there today. But because you followed your internal inheritance, God has put you there. So with everybody in this room, by following the Lord, he may have made you a physician, an accountant, a lawyer. It wouldn't matter. The external, it takes care of itself It's what God does. It's on your way to heaven. So that's why you're coming into your inheritance here below. Well, this is what Paul is saying to these Colossians. By following their internal inheritance, uh, they will do great things. Think of William Wilberforce. He was a man of God, became a member of parliament, ended slavery. That was his external inheritance, but we would never have done that. We would have never known about it if he hadn't followed the Lord, a man of God. And so I ask you, have you fulfilled these two conditions? First, are your sins forgiven? That's the first step. And second, are you pleasing the Lord by your walk? Now, just before I close, important clarification. Paul has a linguistic style. For example, when he writes Ephesians, he refers to the grace of God, and that's it. When he writes to the Colossians, he refers to the grace of God in truth. He didn't need to add that, because when he said grace of God, that was enough. But sometimes, because of who he's writing and addressing, he adds in truth to make sure you know that you can pervert the grace of God. You could end up in antinomianism, not caring about living a life that reflects the law of God. And so he adds the grace of God in truth. So with this phrase, inheritance of the saints. In Colossians, he just said, inheritance of the saints. He didn't add anything. That was enough. But to the Colossians, he writes, inheritance of the saints in light. Why ever does he do that? Why does he add in light. I'll tell you why. Because, sadly, there are those who start out in the journey that don't end well. They don't, sadly. Take King Saul in the Old Testament. He had a brilliant beginning. He was given a new heart. And it was amazing how, God was going to use him. And then one day, he began to take himself too seriously. And he departed from Scripture and began to do things that went right against the Bible. Nobody could reach him. But the day came. King Saul, a converted man, said, I have played the fool. God has departed from me and answers me no more. Do you know in this same letter of Colossians, Paul refers to a man by the name of Demas. Yes. He was writing it in 60 AD. Demas. And then when he writes to Timothy seven years later, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Ananias and Sapphira, part of the church, but greed got in. God takes them home. Paul's last word to Timothy He refers to Alexander, who had been a part of his life. He went off the rails. It happens. And Paul doesn't want it to happen to the Colossians. Someone would say, well, they're qualified. They've got it. Yes, if they died then. But he adds in verse 23, if you continue. And I'm speaking to saved people, I think, Virtually 100%, maybe 99%. You're, you're saved. The question is, are you pursuing your inheritance? I have a feeling that almost all of you are. But I need to say these things. Perhaps there's someone here, you're in a major trial right now. It could be handling money. It could be you've been betrayed and you're becoming bitter. Or maybe there's sexual temptation and you're close to losing it all. Could it be that God has brought me to preach this and he's brought you here to listen? It's a wake-up call so that you don't mess up. Well, Paul says to these Colossians, I know about you. Epaphras told me of your love in the Spirit. But don't stop now. Don't blow away your inheritance. As the writer of Hebrews would say, cast not away your confidence. You had a good start. Hebrews ten thirty two. you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Look how far you've come. Don't give up now. And so what you are doing, says Paul, qualifies you, yes, but don't give up. Keep on. And one day you will know not only that you're going to go to heaven, but and this is a peak moment of joy. I cannot imagine. I wish I had the oratorical power to convey what this moment would be like. Take A person who's just won the gold for their country. And they're hearing their national anthem sung at the Olympics. If you could get into the skin of that person, what must it be like to think I've done it and I've honored my country? But I can tell you something better. It's when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ... And this same Jesus who died on the cross and was raised from the dead now looks at you in the eye and says, well done. I want that more than anything in the world. Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you pursuing your inheritance? May we pray. Heavenly Father, take this word. Apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.